Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. Welcome back to My Lord and My God. And if you joined us last week, you were able to hear uh, my testimony on how my encounter with Christ in the Eucharist has changed my life, and it absolutely has. Kara, I learned lots of new things about you. Well, that's in that good. Discussion. That's good. Hopefully, everyone <laughs> did, and hopefully, they learn new things about Jesus too. Um, yeah, most importantly. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> but this episode, we get a treat too, and we are going to hear from Fred. So I get to interview Fred and really uh, get into his testimony, which I think is a very different take from mine because I grew up Catholic. Um, For those who don't know, Fred is a convert to the faith, which I think for a lot of people, like that's just interesting in and of itself. It's like what draws people to want to be Catholic? And so Mm -hmm. I'm excited to really dive into that with you and then touch on, you know, how did the Eucharist really play a role in that? Yes. And Kara has accused me in the past of not sharing enough of yeah. my testimony. So yeah. I give her permission to ask away uh, with her questions. I'll dig. Don't <laughs> you worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the best place to start then is kind of at the beginning for you. So you don't have to dive into too much of the the pre-Christ unless you want to, of course. But I'm curious. I know... Um, you had you are a story of multiple conversions, and your first one was not to Catholicism, but it was at least to Christ. And right. I'm curious, mm-hmm. like along the way, what had you really heard about um, Catholicism and our understanding of the Eucharist, and like what was your initial take on that? You know, well, it, it's funny because my first experience with going to a Catholic Mass happened at the very same time the Lord was beginning to move my heart toward him. And I was starting to experience the grace of conversion. I I wouldn't have articulated it that way at the time. Why were you there? Why were you at Mass? Well, a family member had passed away. Okay. And in St. Francis, Kansas, of all places, and uh, went to a funeral there. And it was the first time, uh, so this would have been uh, maybe 12 years ago at the time of this recording, and like I said, I, I had been a professional heathen my entire life, and um, I had come to a place where I realized that the Lord wanted something better for me. I'd always had a sense that there was some calling there, that I wanted something else. I was always searching. Right. And I think everything kind of converged in my life at that point where I realized I was searching for Christ. Yeah. But you didn't realize it in the moment, did you? Like, you can look back and see that. I can look back on it and see it now, but at the same time, I was reading I was reading a gospel literally a day. Yeah. I was reading one of the gospels every single day, um, and I was in scripture a lot, and I was looking for answers. And I remember going to Mass. It was a Catholic funeral Mass, uh, which in itself is very different from an ordinary Mass, you know, but it still has those sort of normal... Catholic things about it, you know, the the sands, stand, sit, kneel, uh, incense, the bells, you know, uh, communion. And I was very puzzled by it. And I had a lot of questions. And I even remember almost asking the priest at, at the reception afterwards all those questions. But for whatever reason, 
I didn't. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time yet. Mm-hmm. And we'll come back to that mm-hmm. maybe perhaps another day or at the end of the story. Who knows? But that that story actually found completion just about a year ago. So, mm-hmm. but anyways. You no, know, you I, can't leave that hanging. It, <laughs> it found completion because you were able to actually go back. I, yeah. an, at another family funeral, St. Francis, Kansas, uh, we went, went in and lo and behold, that priest happened to be sitting at my table and we had a wonderful conversation. That's awesome. Yeah. And I got to share my testimony with him and it was beautiful. It felt like a reminder from the Lord that he's been guiding my steps. Yeah every single step of the way. And that's how he works. Um, And so that is kind of my Eucharistic journey in a way. Because, you know, I didn't know any better. I received communion. I didn't know it was at that funeral. I didn't know it was Christ. Right. You know, so, you know, I've been reading scripture a lot and trying to come out of uh, the former way of life that I lived. Um, Along with my wife, although we weren't married at the time, we were just searching for a church to get married in and found ourselves in a, in a very vibrant Protestant church, heard the gospel preach for the first time, had a very radical conversion and just fell in love with Jesus. And from the very first moment wanted the whole truth, nothing but the truth. You know, we just, we wanted right. everything that the Lord had. There was always that hunger. And I think that transferred into a call to ministry, but it also inspired a quest for the fullness of faith and the fullness of truth. And fast forward, I find myself on my way to becoming a Protestant pastor, um, discovered some guy named Scott Hahn uh, and <laughs> some some old folks called the Church Fathers. Yeah. And I was blessed to have a, a great mentor at the, the school I was attending, Dr. James Shelton, who mm-hmm. himself is a good friend of Scott Hahn. Mm-hmm. And... Um, there were so many claims in the church fathers who like St. Ignatius of Antioch comes to mind. He he died in 107. He was a disciple of John himself. And he is very unashamed in his language of the Eucharist and makes it very clear. And so there were things I encountered in those words that I couldn't deny. This is a disciple of John speaking right. about the Eucharist the way that Catholics do. Right. <laughs> And it became very hard for me to deny that. And so even as a Protestant, like you weren't you weren't hung up on this Eucharistic idea and like you you didn't right. you didn't not believe it. I, w- I, I wasn't hung up in the usual way. Uh, for me, it became a matter of, you know, maybe it was that reading a gospel every single day <laughs> at the beginning of my uh, journey. But the words of Christ meant something. And. So when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, that just always stuck with me. Um, how can it be anything other than that? And John chapter six, for right, example, unless right. you eat my eat my flesh, drink my blood. And the words he uses are much more graphic than, mm-hmm. than our English counterparts. And that just really stuck with me, I think. And so I had trouble reconciling our Protestant views of uh, of communion. And in my denomination, we were pretty irregular uh, in our reception. There was one church where I worked uh, where I think in two years we received communion twice. <laughs> you know, it was something you were encouraged to do at home, you know, with grape juice and a cracker or something like that. Just in memory of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's in the, I struggled with that compared with yeah. 
scripture. And some of our regular draw near listener, listeners have heard the story before, but I attended a Easter play at our church and uh, our pastor who was playing Jesus said, um, this represents my body, this represents my blood. And right. that, that was kind of the turning point for me because every other word of that play was scripture mm-hmm. except, except that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's when I kind of started to really embrace the Catholic teaching. Although we worked at the church, we started going to Catholic mass every week. And, you know, it began a transition for me of of trying to share the Catholic teaching with my Protestant coworkers. <laughs> just seek, uh, just secretly you know, evangelizing just, over there. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of funny because I wasn't even Catholic yet. And, you know, I ended up at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, took a class from Scott Hahn, who we've mentioned multiple times. And um, that was very much a big part of my journey and uh, coming to faith in the Eucharist. And it's it's a funny thing because I came into the church at Easter Vigil with my wife and our oldest two kids. They were both baptized. It's all together. It was a family thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, in my my denomination previous denomination like it wasn't uncommon it was pentecostal so it wasn't uncommon to see people doing you've heard the story before but people doing somersaults in the aisle and (laughs) running and bucking and shouting and because they were moved by the spirit or excitement or whatnot but um that wasn't me like if you see me doing that either i've had too many margaritas or the building's on fire it's one of those two things yeah but i remember going up after receiving confirmation i remember going up and receiving communion for the very first time, body, blood, soul, and divinity. And I remember going back to my seat and just being so overwhelmed and overcome by mm-hmm. excitement and joy mm-hmm. that I felt like I needed to do, yeah. <laughs> do that. Yeah. I felt like I, oh, I just need to run around and tell everybody I'm just so excited. Um, I wish I could say, Kara, that every time I've received communion mm-hmm. has been that way. But as you well know, as a parent, yeah, it's not the right. case. That's pretty common, you know. I think. Um, but I try to think about that often because it's just as true every time. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, that reminded me of a, a story when you said you went up and received body, blood, soul, and divinity. So just recently over Thanksgiving, I got to go to a different diocese and they are doing blood like they have the reception of the wine and and the blood and I walked past the Eucharistic minister and I was like wait a second and so I like turned around because I wasn't even used to that being offered because it's not offered in our diocese yet Mm -hmm. and so I received the blood and I went back and cried I was like that is the first time in three years that I have received the blood of Christ And so, I mean, I feel like there's just that joy, even after, you know, we didn't have masses for months um, because of because of the virus, you know, like the first time I received it, it had been five months. And like then there's those tears again. So it's almost like, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder a little bit. Yeah, and it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 I I, there is something to that, though, on a practical level, like, you know, it. We know transubstantiation. We know it's literally the body and blood, although it might might look and taste like wine, might look and taste like you know bread. We know what it actually is, and yet on a practical level, like for me, receiving communion for the first time, like 
coming from church where it was just a little thimble full of grape juice, basically, there was something jarring to me about receiving the blood mm-hmm. and the wine. Yeah. You know, like it had an effect of, oh, wow, this, there's something different about this. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. that's it, it's pointing to a greater spiritual reality, perhaps. But because I know it wasn't literally wine, but practically speaking, it did have a little drawing effect and and I think that's we pre- actually prepare our kids for that as well because it's we want them to appreciate the beauty of being able to receive the blood unfor- unfortunately a couple of our kids haven't been able to have that experience with covid and right. everything but right. you know th- it does communicate something about what we believe as well at least maybe in in some practical level yeah so I know um I know there's more to to your testimony, but like after entering, prod away, Kara. Well, I'm curious <laughs> after entering the church because you and I both shared in our testimony. Like, it's not always perfect every time you receive. Right. It's not always just this like amazing spiritual consolation. So I'm curious with that question being the theme. Like, how has your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life? You know, you shared the the big moment, but like every day. Um, how does it continue to do that for you? How does it continue to change your life? You know, I think I can't separate the day to day from the big moment. Okay. Yeah. Cause the, the part, the part I left out of that story was I made a passing comment about, I felt like my whole life I was searching for something and not able to find it. Part of my want feeling the need to rejoice and being overcome with joy is feeling like I just found the everything I've always been searching for. And so it felt like that thing was finally, I finally found it. Maybe it's the pearl of great price, whatever biblical analogy you want to make there, Kara. But to me, that's what it was. It was, I finally found what I was looking for. But at the same time, it was like receiving a commission to something greater, a call to something greater. And so... I would say in how I live my life, how I choose to live my life, and in how the decisions I make in serving the Lord, in a way you're hearing our voices because of one of those decisions, all come back to that. So that's your experience just every every time? Not not in the like spiritual con- consolation way, but like y- it drives you to continue to share the mission? I would say it does. Whether how aware I am in the moments from day to day, I would say fluctuates. You know, it fluctuates with discouragement. It fluctuates with, um, you know, the kid's behavior <laughs> or my own behavior, I suppose. My my need for grace, you know, how how close to falling or have I fallen? You know, it fluctuates with all those normal daily things. But I think this is one thing that I think converts perhaps have an inside track on understanding in some ways is like there's a whole life I left behind right not once but twice right you know um that cost me friendships you know it, it cost me a job but I would do it all over again and it was worth it you know when I was coming into the catholic church I had this mysterious illness <laughs> the the entire time I was going through RCIA and it was it was hard and and I would get that question from folks I don't know if they were joking or mocking I'm not sure sure which 
or if it was their trying to find humor uh, in the moment, which I tend to do. That humor is how I cope with things. But, you know, I could barely walk for like six weeks. And, you know, there were nights I went to bed thinking, I don't think I'm going to wake up in the morning. Right. Yeah. But I kept, I kept thinking about, I'm coming into the Catholic Church. <laughs> I'm doing this, you know. So for me, like those two things were tied together. A and lot of warfare, still, just following God's will in that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think I go back to that moment of the first time I received communion. Every time I receive communion, our listeners hearing our voices right now, all those things are connected. It's because of that encounter with Christ in the Eucharist. That's how it's changed my life. I wish I could say I did a better job remembering that each day. I wish I did a better job remembering that every time I'm standing in that communion line. Honestly, I would say most days I forget that. Most days I lose sight of that. But it's still true. It is still true. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does answer my question. It is still true. And I think that's uh, a benefit to ending your day asking the question, like, how did I encounter Christ today? And it doesn't have to be in mass, but I remember that being something that was always in spiritual direction for me. Like, that would be the first thing, you know. And how did you see Christ in that? Whenever I would share something right. and I'd be like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, so so just thinking. <laughs> Knowing uh, who your spiritual director <laughs> yeah. is, that sounds like a question he would ask. <laughs> yeah. So, but like, like ending the day with that question is, is helps with the daily reminder of no, he, yeah. he is here to encounter you and right. hear all the ways that he wants to. Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful question too. And it, it reminds me, it, it, we can't talk about encountering Christ in the Eucharist without encountering Christ in each other in at mass profoundly. You have it, to share the story it, of Zoe because of that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's where I was going. Good, so good. So uh, she's now four, but at the time she was three, and she her name is Zoe Joy, and she is, her name fits her. Zoe Joy means joyful life. Zoe is Greek for life, obviously joy, and it fits her. She's just, when I want to grump, when I want to be in a bad mood, she will not let me be in a bad mood. Kara, you can testify to how joyful she is. Yeah, yeah, she's a sweetie, yeah. Um, and there was there was one mass, we were at cathedral, and... I noticed um, uh, an older man sitting behind us, and all through Mass, he just kept looking at my family and smiling. Not in like a creepy way, but like <laughs> like, like he was in, enjoying the fact that there was a large family who were doing the best they could to be attentive at Mass, and he found encouragement. You could tell what was behind his look. And, uh, you know, when it was time to go up and receive communion— Zoe turned and genuflected toward the man. And and immediately, like, I found myself wanting to correct her. That's the teacher, the theological catechetical person, Kara. Like, no, we don't genuflect to the tabernacle, right, but we don't right. have to do that right now. Right. You know? Um, and it, immediately it was like I heard the Lord say, but aren't I present in that man too? And what what do I say to that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yes, you are. Did you use, yes, you are. Did you use that to say to Zoe, like he was in that man too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's true. Yeah. And and we have to be mindful of that. Like we go up to receive communion, uh, we're the church is full of tabernacles, <laughs> right? Um, tabernacles who probably shouldn't be arguing with each other 
in the parking lot who can get out faster, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, yeah. or insert whatever. I think know? that's actually really good. I know we'll have an episode throughout the year that is about uh, the tabernacle. Um, but that's actually a good point, I think, because I think it's very easy to have like church drama or people who you struggle to get along with because they have a dis- right. they have a different opinion of what's going on in the church or the ministries that are happening or whatever. But that's such a beautiful reminder because they are a tabernacle of Christ too. You know, they are yeah. a dwelling of the Lord because they have the Holy Spirit within them, but also because they are in communion when they go and right? receive the Eucharist. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I think that's another one of those things I want to point to with that question. How has your encounter with Christ and the Eucharist changed your life? I want to be more mindful of that, and I try to be. And uh, I, I think that is is one of those ways also. Again, I'm going to not that I think this episode it just is going to turn into let me brag on my little girl because she's the cutest Go smartest for theologian, Go future for saint. But <laughs> there, there was another time, and this was more recently, earlier this year, where, Carrie, you've had those mornings where you get up and you're trying to get to the mass and nobody can find their shoes. You're and, like yelling uh, to get in the car. Yeah, uh-huh. you're like, shut up. We're trying to go to mass. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. You know? yep. um, one of those mornings. And you walk in, you try to look holy, like all that didn't happen before. Exa- you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so it was one of those mornings uh, added to that. The boys somehow outgrew their pants overnight. I don't know that, how that happens, but it did. And we ended up going to a church where we prefer not to go as much. It tends to be, it's one of those subjective things. Like we don't, the the kids don't like that one as much. You know, we don't find it as beautiful. We don't always, and this is the wrong choice of words, get as much out of it. It doesn't draw you, know you I mean? into prayer as much. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and it was one of those mornings where it was, oh gosh, that's singing so off key. Oh, why did they choose that song? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, why is he doing that? Oh, why am I the only person here that's happy to be here? You know? <laughs> As you grumble. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those masses, you know, and I I didn't see the irony in any of that. You know, you talk about how was your encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed your life. I was not thinking that way that morning. And then when it came time, and this is going to tie to your your episode before this, when it came time for that host to get elevated, behold the Lamb of God, Zoe reached up her hands like that universal pick me up, you know, where they keep reaching their hands, opening and closing their hands like pick me up, pick me up. And she just kept saying, I can't see Jesus. I can't see Jesus. That's precious. And I picked her up. Mm-hmm. And in that moment when I picked her up, she had the biggest smile on her face and she pointed to Jesus. And then it was like, I heard the Lord say, and neither could you. Mm. Like I needed her to pick me up to see Jesus. Like if you think about what a three-year-old child's perspective is when they go to mass, what their height (laughs) is, it's not, it's not the best view. No, If we're honest, it may not even be the best smells or sounds, you know, but there in that moment, I came to mass with her view, but she had the higher view and she picked me up and I was able to see my Lord and my God. There he was. I think 
all of that answers the question, how has my encounter with Christ in the Eucharist changed my life? That's pretty beautiful. I love that. And it continues to change your kids' lives Amen. because of the witness that you're able to then give to, give to them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Amen. Well, hopefully you have enjoyed the last two episodes, getting to hear a little bit more from Fred and I on how the Eucharist has really changed our life and how the Lord has worked. We hope that it benefits you in your own life and your own testimony. And we would love to hear those. Like, we'd love to hear your testimonies. I think we... We said in the last episode, you know, it shouldn't be uncommon for us to be able to share our faith with other people. So how beautiful of a church could we be if we just all were willing to be like, hey, can I tell you about how I encountered Christ today? So um, I kind of want to leave you with like, don't be afraid to share your own testimony with people. Don't be afraid to talk about God and in the Eucharist with people. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So tune in next week as we continue to dive into uh, into Christ in the Eucharist and our love for his greatest gift to us in the Eucharist.